Hey, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to My Sentiments Exactly podcast. My name is Kay, and I'm your host. Today, I have a very special guest, Jordan Barnes, who is going to share his experience with heroin, homelessness, and an HIV scare. Jordan Barnes is a grateful addict in recovery, and Sand Island Treatment Center is his home group. When he's not sharing his experience, strength, and hope through writing, he enjoys body surfing and diving, as well as long walks on the beach while swinging his metal detector. Jordan resides in beautiful Kailua, Hawaii. He has been sober from all mind and mood altering substances since August 29th, 2011. One Hit Away is his debut memoir. MSE Podcast is dedicated to talking about the hard stuff and facilitating the conversations necessary for growth, healing, transformation, and genuine community. Now it's your turn. My hope is that you finish this episode feeling empowered to continue the conversation with those around you. One way you can do that is by purchasing the MSE Podcast Conversation Starters Deck available at bygracenp.com. May these cards inspire you to speak out and be heard, and may you be authentically embraced for the uniqueness of your journey. So Jordan, thank you so much for coming on just to share your story um, and just to add to the conversation. I got a chance to read some from your author interview on addictsripple.com from August of last year. And you mentioned uh, at one point the phrase rock bottoms basement. Um, and I, that really stuck out to me. I thought it was very interesting. So do you mind letting me and my listeners know what exactly you mean by that phrase? Sure, of course. Um, first of all, thank you, Kaylian, for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Aloha to you and aloha to your listeners. <laughs> um, rock Bottom's Basement. Right. So, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, in addiction, oftentimes, you want to tell yourself that things can't get any worse. And it's always shocking, I suppose, to an addict, or at least to myself, that things can get worse, and they, they often get much worse. Um, you know, you think... You can't pay rent next month, and next thing you know, you're homeless. You know, wow. you, uh, you, you can't wait for your next paycheck, and next thing you know, you don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't stand your friend, and next thing you know, they're not, you know, they're not around anymore. And that's the nature of addiction. That's the nature of the disease. That's the nature of um, that's the consequence of continuing bad choices that you made in someone's life. Yeah. And so, to me, what Rock Bottom's Basement is is it's the idea that, wow, I can't believe I'm back here again, and I can't believe it's worse this time. And, and, I, th- and I thought I had it so hard the last time, but that's the, the nature of the disease. And, it, and it, it, will, it really continues on until the end of the road. And um, life can only give you so many, you know, wake-up calls. Yeah. Nine lives. But, yeah, that's, that's basically what, what, that, what that's about. And. You know, it's tough, but on the flip side, it can also be a really good thing because it can be a source of strength later in your life and recovery, and you can refer back to that 
to tell yourself, I'm never going back to that. You know, I've been there. I know mm-hmm. what I know what these decisions um, lead to. Yeah. So it, you know, you got to find the, the positive to anything. Absolutely. And, yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely helpful to refer back to that. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that um, that statement because yeah, sometimes you can feel like it it can't get worse, and then it actually does. <laughs> um, you know, right. so I just it reaches everybody. Your story reaches those that you know feel like they're they've hit rock bottom and those that feel like they've gone even further down than that um if you can just share a little bit about your experience with homelessness um i feel like that would benefit the listeners as well right so um you know in hindsight looking back homelessness was the result of a series of bad decisions Mm -hmm. and i can actually go back as far, um, I can go as far back as high school when I, my first experience with homelessness or houselessness as a runaway. Wow. And I wasn't, it wasn't that I had, I didn't have a home to sleep in. It was that I didn't want to abide by the the rules or the law of the land. And so I chose, I chose for about a year to sleep out of my car, to sleep on friends' couches. And I basically like, I, I made my bed. You know, I made my bed and laid in it. I didn't really have a bed, but mm-hmm. that started that that started in high school, and then oh wow, and I got my stuff back together, and I pulled, I, you know, I, I had support, and then I turned my life around. Later, when I went and um, went to Oregon for college, and I got into the thick of it, I um, like I was saying earlier, I rock bottom the basement. You can't pay rent. Next thing you know, you don't have a place to go. And, and that was true homelessness. That was, yeah. that was, there was, there was nowhere to go. Um, there was nowhere to sleep. And, um, and it's, it, it, it's really tough. There's a lot of resources in a city like Portland who looks out for all of the people. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's definitely not a walk in the park. Maybe you sleep in the park, but, <laughs> uh, gotcha. you know, it's, it's cold and, 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 and it's hard and there's definitely, um, you know, you have to worry about where your stuff's going to be, if it's going to be there, you know, when you come back, you're stashing yeah. stuff constantly, or, you know, and, it, and it, it's hard to, to scrounge stuff together, and it's hard to really make any progress when you're stuck in one spot. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. I, that's, I didn't know that it, you know, had started when you were in, in high school, um, and that, you know, as you stated, when you had started out, in high school, it was a choice of yours, um, you know, to stay in your car and um, stay at friends' houses. So that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that it had started that early. Right, and I mean, I want to be clear. I came from a, a very loving house with oh, yeah. that cared about me, two brothers. Sure. But I was, I was, a, I was a, a young man making poor decisions, and I put priorities on things that. Um, in hindsight, you know, were extremely destructive, mm-hmm. not only to my life, but to my, to my developmental process as a young man, you know, like yeah. I stunted myself emotionally from growing, um, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. So you also talk about, um, losing a friend that was while you were homeless. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So had they been with you, you know, throughout the whole journey, um, how long had you known them? So, um, I call him Simon. Um, he's 
Simon. That's, that's the name I'm using for him in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon and me were close friends or acquaintances slash friends for about two years, and we were both kind of on similar paths of destruction. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of band together um, to, to – it's interesting. The, the life of a, of a street addict or a junkie – you, you kind of, you're always looking for an out, so you're always putting yourself first and you're extremely selfish, but at the same time, you also want to depend on someone else to help you out when um, maybe you didn't have a good day or, or you couldn't score the next hit. And so people link up, and me and Simon linked up, and we were really close friends, and we were kind of, you know, exchanging crimes back and forth. It's my turn, it's your turn, it's my turn. And we went back and forth, and we kind of, like, banded together to to help each other, you know, make it day by day. Got you. And we were were both homeless. Um, We were both um, running around up to no good. And, um, yeah, Simon had a really unfortunate ending to a story. Do you know someone struggling with drug and alcohol abuse? DrugHelpline.org offers 24-7 drug and alcohol help to those struggling with addiction. If you call their hotline, you can receive information regarding treatment and recovery and get the help that you need. The number is 1-844-289-0879. Call their national hotline for drug abuse help today. Got you. Um, so that was kind it, of a wake-up call for you. It was. And, you know, it wasn't at the time, and that's the crazy thing. It wasn't at the time. Hmm. So I um, I was traumatized, but I didn't cry. I, I was numb to emotions. I was Got drugged, you. drugged up. But it, it planted a seed that, that nagged at me and that, you know, made everything I ate taste bitter and just life, you know, there, there wasn't there was very little happiness for a long time but when I did find myself in a place where I could get help that's when I could look back and say you know what like that's what that life was and um and then and, and it, it makes it really clear to me that that's not a life at all and that's not something that I'm, I'm interested or willing to to go back to mm-hmm. yeah um, I wish I wish that he had the same uh, opportunities to seek help that I had, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't play out that way, sadly. Yeah, and you also mentioned your parents um, played a significant role um, in yeah. your in your recovery process. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what they did to um, try to make things better and to get you to um, recovery? They they. Um, if it weren't for them, I, I wouldn't be here today. And I don't mean that in the fact that they gave birth to me. And, and, and I don't mean that metaphorically. Literally, if it weren't for the love of both my mother and my father, I would not have found myself entering a treatment center. 
I would not have been able to get into the treatment center. I would have not been able to leave the state. What they did for for me um, is like the the purest definition of love, and that's mm. they never gave up on me. Yeah. And and I made it really diff- difficult. You know, I, I'm not an easy person to love when I'm when I'm using. I'm, I'm just not. I'm, I'm selfish, yeah. self-centered, all the negative um, connotations that come with addiction. Mm-hmm. But my parents were able to see past that because they, re- they remembered the young man that I was and they had hopes for the grown man that I could be. And they, they really helped me. You know, they basically reached into the muck and plucked me out of it and helped mm-hmm. guide me back to a place where I needed help. And it wasn't easy, and it forced them to make some really difficult decisions as law-abiding citizens. I mean, mm-hmm. I was um, wanted by the law. I, was, I had outstanding felonies, um, and they had to make a decision, you know, do we basically help our son evade the justice system to get him help he needs mm-hmm. with the idea that he can atone later, or do we follow the, the laws and, and we turn himself in? And it was actually a really difficult yet pivotal um, experience. I'm and, sure. You know, I, you know I, um, I pushed them to do things that I needed to do that I look back in hindsight and, you know, I'm extremely embarrassed about. You know, I, I, um, you know, I, I, I didn't force my dad to take me to my dope dealer, but I basically played her hand and said, look, I'm going, you know, one way or the other. And um, they were, they had to, you know, they had to look at the long run and, and mm-hmm. say, well, to get to A to B, you know, there's, it's not just one leap. There's a bunch of little steps in between. And, yeah. you know, it's it's another thing I can look back to and say, you know, I hated that I have the capability to be so selfish. And I hated that I put them through that. But I know that I never have to put them through that again. Absolutely. And, and I hope other people can you know, relate to what my story is and, and maybe they won't let it get that bad for themselves. Yeah. You know, I, um, I also, I also to this day, am really close with my mom and my dad. Um, I work with them. We work at the same family company. Okay. Um, yeah. So I've stayed really close. I have an amazing support system out, out here in Hawaii and it's That's great. my home. And, yeah. That's great. Um, in your memoir, you also mention about an HIV scare that you had. Um, how, I mean, I can't even <laughs> imagine the emotion. I mean, you just kind of had a lot going on. Um, can you just share just a little bit about the, the HIV scare that you had and just the circumstances that were surrounding that? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I was an IV drug user and, um, it's hard to it's hard to consider this for someone that's not an addict because I remember before I started, I picked up a needle, you know, thinking that people that used needles were, you know, I had a bunch of stereotypes and um, misconceptions. What mm-hmm. happens is that things progressively get worse and worse and worse until you hit a point where you no longer care about tomorrow because you don't think tomorrow's going to come. Mm-hmm. The negative ramification to that is that if you need a hit, you'll do whatever it takes to get it because you don't care about tomorrow. So gotcha. I, I, I found myself in a position where I needed needles and I needed to use, you know, use cookers and use paraphernalia and other 
instruments of addiction, and I didn't care about the possibility of contaminating myself. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't. I didn't believe I had a future. I didn't have anything to live for. Yeah. Um, I went to the needle exchange in Portland, and I went to trade in my old needles for new needles, and they were doing rapid um, oral HIV swab tests, and. I took one and I tested positive for HIV on the spot mm. and it, it, um, you know, my knees gave out just as you can imagine. It was such a devastating yeah. experience. Um, they, their policy is to take a, a secondary blood draw, which is very difficult for an IV user. So I submitted a blood specimen and I was supposed to return in like two days to get my results. And I went instead and I, I, was looking for ways to end it all and mm. unfortunately it's very difficult when you have a high tolerance to OD and it took me about a week before I came back and when I came back discovered that you know the test the test was inaccurate it was a very wow. rare isolated event and, wow. and I, I was not yeah and it, it actually um I've reached out to the coordinator from the New York exchange um and we've linked up after all these years and you know it's a very isolated anomaly and, and yeah. there's no real explanation to it um it happened to me and someone else mm. and um you know that's something that's just another part of my story it was a very it, it was something that was another wake of call yeah and uh, yeah it's terrifying yeah very terrifying i can imagine i i can only imagine um so how did your um, how did your addiction start? Because um, I know there are different factors that lead to people, um, you know, starting to use. So what exactly was it that led to to your um, heroin addiction? Right. So um, I guess if anyone could pinpoint where addiction started, we wouldn't have such a epidemic of Okay. Of alcoholism and addiction. Okay. I can I can point to I can point to signs, and I can point to possibly where it ramped up. You know, I come from um, a family where it feels like every male in our family is an alcoholic, myself included. Okay. Um, I just lost my brother last last year to alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Sorry um, to hear that. I'm a I'm an alcoholic when I drink. Um, my dad, however. You know, my dad, however, is not probably due to the fact that he didn't want to be what his father was growing up. Okay. Right. So, you know, I um, I mentioned earlier that I had, you know, made poor decisions in high school. And mm-hmm. a lot of that stems from, okay, it's, it's kind of odd. So my mom and dad gave me and my brothers a deal that if we could make it to the age 16 without using any drugs or smoking a cigarette, we could have a thousand dollars. Wow. So, yeah. And so both my brothers um, didn't make didn't they, they didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> but I did, and and what that what that did was, I would basically go and hang out with my friends, and we'd be at parties, and I'd have friends that were passing a joint around or experimenting, and rather than experiment casually, as I think some kids do. What I did was I tried to match everyone's buzz and high with alcohol, and I found oh. myself I found myself drinking heavily, 
and I became pretty, I became alcoholic at a, at a relatively young age, and gotcha. the, the ramifications can click. I, I had a DUI when I was 16, another DUI when I was 17, um, but when I hit 16, I got the $1,000, and I was like, well, you know, now the deal's off, I can do whatever I want, gotcha. and I had 1000 bucks, and, and I kind of just like jumped feet first into into everything, and, and that's when life really you know, when I really took it far left and, but I didn't get, I didn't experiment with heroin until I was in college. And when I was in college, basically I was back to drinking heavy and, um, I was a binge drinker who would drink for, you know, a week or two weeks straight, not leave my dorm room, not want to see the sun, you know, Mm -hmm. all the, all the misery and depressive thoughts that come with, you know, isolated drinking. Mm -hmm. And, um, and actually, it was it was my neighbor down the hall that felt for me, ironically, and wanted yeah. to, wanted to see my pain end. And and he's like, hey, you know, like come in here, you know, that's not working for you. Let me show you something that that makes you feel a lot better in alcohol. Mm-hmm. And 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 that was it. And that's all it took. Gotcha. You know? Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I I appreciate it, and I also appreciate you mentioning. The fact that, you know, if you could just pinpoint one thing, we wouldn't have this issue. Um, I guess, you know, that's a misconception maybe that I had, um, that there's one particular thing or that you can, you know, pinpoint it. Um, so I appreciate you for for saying that because the whole point of all of this is to bring awareness and to see addiction, homelessness, and just your experience from, from your own perspective. Um, so I appreciate that. What would you say has been most beneficial to your recovery process? Inpatient treatment. Okay. Inpatient treatment, without a doubt, um, and and all everything that all the benefits that come with that. Um, there's, of course, you know, I can cast a wider net and say that I made a geographical change, which was really beneficial when I okay. left the city of Portland um, and then returned to Hawaii. But I was in a spot where I, I, I was in a spot in my life where I didn't have a future to look forward to. Mm. I was in a spot in my life where I didn't have a, a future to look forward to. And I basically didn't believe that recovery is possible. Gotcha. I didn't believe that addicts like me had a happy ending. I believe that I would end up very similar to my friend Simon. Mm. Um, and so when I found myself in inpatient treatment, suddenly I'm immersed in a world where there's 200 clients and like 30 or 40 staff members, former addicts, still addicts in recovery, all working towards a common goal. And I was, that was my first glimpse of like, wow, maybe this is, maybe this is something that, you know, maybe there's life after mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that. I, I couldn't have done it, you know, I've, I've done meetings, I've done AA, I've done NA, I still do AA, um, but I've done the short treatments, I've done the, the bursts, I've done the jailhouse detoxes, I've, I've gone through the gamut, um, mm-hmm. re- really what, what worked for me was finding myself at a place like Sand Island, because those people are experts in the field, mm-hmm. I, I can relate to them, um, they're addicts themselves, they, they call me out on my BS, and to this day, they've turned into great mentors and friends. Um, I have a wonderful support group, 
and I turn to them often. In, That's in amazing. Times, in times of good and times of bad, you know. Um, Absolutely. That's yeah. amazing. And you're almost nine years into your sobriety. Yeah. Isn't okay. that crazy? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I'm sure that's surreal for you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. And just congratulations. Um, you know, whether it's nine months or nine years, like it's still progress. So congratulations. Um, just hearing, you know, where you've come from and just saying that nine years later, you know, just look at everything that you're doing. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Of I, course. Uh, I, you know, time really does fly. Um, Time really does fly in recovery. It's basically, um, it's not something that I I actively track or stay on top of. I don't, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's a personal thing that I don't celebrate, like, clean dates. Got you. Um, I mm-hmm. don't, I, and I have nothing against them. I'm not knocking them. I'm just, from, for me and from yeah. um, the place I'm coming from, like, we're finally doing the right thing that we've always, that we were always supposed to be doing. Um, and it, it just, it comes, it, it comes with the territory, you know, nine years adds yeah. up quick and, uh, and it's amazing what's happened in nine years. You know, it, it really is. It, it still blows my mind, um, mm-hmm. where my life's at. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so you mentioned, you know, you had your own misconceptions and stereotypes, um, but were there any more or maybe that you came across from other people, um, in your journey through your addiction? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, a lot of my guttural just deep beliefs to recovery and addiction stem from smarter people than me. So a lot of what I base my my recovery off of was taught to me. So I'm not taking credit for for thinking this way, but it's worked for me. Okay. I would say say the, the first and foremost... Um, I think a very dangerous misconception is that relapse is part of the process. Mm, um, wow. I hear that a lot. Newcomers will, will hear that a lot. And I think it's, it's extremely dangerous because gotcha. it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be part of the process. Okay. I, I know, I know it's, we want to, we don't want to scare people away mm-hmm. from, from recovery. We don't want to be tough on people, but, um, I don't make it, you don't make it nine years, 10 years, 20 years, a lifetime with keeping a relapse in your back pocket. You know, yeah. it just has to be so black and white that you're doing the right thing for the right reasons that you're never going back there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so clear, it's so clear in my head that I'm on the right path and that, you know, drugs, I cannot drink and I cannot drug and, and it works for me. And I, I think people can avoid a lot of heartache and pain if they, they stand up for something and they say, you know what, at least for me, like, no, relapse is not an option. I, times will be tough. You're going to, you're going to hit some walls head on. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you might, you might lose some loved ones. Life is going to be hard, but as, you know, it's not, it's not something you keep as a fallback. You know? Yeah. It's, that's really good. Yeah. So that would be, that would be one. The second would be that, I don't think an addict or alcoholic needs to be ready for help in order to get help. That's another yeah. one. Yeah, um, got you. I think, I think a lot of people will say, well, he's not ready yet, or, you know, he has to ask for help. 
I, I only have to turn to my own story to say that I ended up in a place of healing, um, not because I wanted to heal, but because I was running from, I was running from, you know, I was scared. I was running scared. I, I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to go to jail, so I, I figured, well, you know, m- maybe I can hide out in this place. Well, what that did was that put me in a spot where in time I could see what other people were, were doing and what was working for them. Mm-hmm. And slowly the wheel started turning and I started this, like, I started to believe that, hey, maybe this is somewhere, maybe this is somewhere I can get help. Right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like, I need help. I'll do anything for it. Yeah. I was, I was more like, I don't think help is possible. I don't think there's a future for me, but at least I don't want to, I don't want to get arrested. So, you know, it's people, um, the reason that's so important is because, um, it really is a game of life and death, you know, um, some, you know, when my brother passed away, some of his friends knew that he had issues, but they were just waiting for him to ask for help. And Mm. it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that I couldn't help him, um, myself, but I I wish that, you know, things could have been differently that we, we pushed harder and. Um, yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think those are two very dangerous misconceptions. Um, but that's my personal opinion. You know, I'm, I'm oh, just yeah. one man. Yeah, there's, of course. Of course. Many different schools of thought and there's, there's no right or wrong. I'm just saying what worked for me. And so, yeah. yeah. Thank you for those. Those are, those are really good ones. Um, could you name maybe one, one or two of the main misconceptions with, um, homelessness? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the classic one is you're homeless because you're lazy. Or you're homeless because yeah. you're an addict. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's not, you know, there's, just like there's a million reasons someone could be an addict, there's a million reasons why someone can be homeless. Absolutely. Um, and there's, there's different, there's different levels of homelessness too, you know. Um, okay. There's, there's those that have had hard times, there's those that are there because of addictions. There gotcha. are those that are there because of the result of living a life of addiction. And now they're just trying to piece their parts together. Gotcha. But then there's 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 everything else. I mean, I live in Hawaii with an extremely high cost of living. Um, it's expensive out here. It's really difficult okay. to find housing. You know, just our housing market is insane. Gotcha. Um, vacation rentals have, have really, like, kind of dried up the supply. Um, fortunately, they're, they're changing the laws, but, I mean, there really is an A to Z list of why someone could be on the streets. Gotcha. I can say that um, from my perspective and my position, I was homeless because I'm directly related to my drug addiction and the choices I made, mm-hmm. you know. But I was running amok, living a criminal life, living a drug-addicted lifestyle, um, and, and that's unfortunate because that then you know people that saw me you know maybe i added to the, the many misconceptions regarding homelessness got you you know mm-hmm. yeah and, that's and, so and true that, and that's unfortunate um yeah and i i love that you emphasize the fact that some people it's the the cost of living sometimes you just can't afford you know you just can't afford a, a decent place to stay and for some people that may be their only option yeah, yeah. Fortunately, though, somewhere like Portland, um, 
they have they have amazing resources out there. Okay, you know, great. They're not a, they're not a forgotten population. Okay, great. Um, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are really good. Thanks for sharing those. Um, yeah. How I, I will I, I, I would reiterate though that there's you know there's definitely like I said two different classes that you have like the mm-hmm. street kids that like think it's cool to be homeless. Then you have the drug addicts that don't want to spend money on anything else other than dope okay. and then those those groups of people that are either homeless by choice or homeless by decision you know they're very separate from actual you know the homeless population that's struggling and, and you know doing the right thing to, and not seeing the right results so got um, you yeah, yeah I can definitely see that um, what would you, what impact would you say your experience and your story? Cause you're married. Um, yeah. you know, what, ex- what impact has your experience and your story had on your wife? Um, and just your family in general. So, um, who I am today is, is a direct result of what I've been through. Just like you, just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. With my wife, I met her in recovery I, gotcha. I met her when I was in recovery. She's not on. She's not in recovery. She's not an addict. She's not an alcoholic. Gotcha. She doesn't have issues, and she doesn't have a history. And actually, that was something that I was seeking out in a partner. Wow. I I didn't want to, you know, put two matchsticks together. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted someone that I could continue having a healthy life with, without fear of us, like, you know, being bad for each other. Yeah. So, so my wife, um, I've always been upfront and honest with her, um, but I'll, I'll say when I started writing the book and she started reading, you know, chapter by chapter, mm-hmm. it, I think it really blew her mind because it's, it's one thing to like tell someone, uh, you know, yeah, I went through this or I went through that or this mm-hmm. happened to me. It's another when they read, you know, a first person narrative yeah. and, and she's wow. like, I can't believe, I can't believe that like all of this stuff happened to you. Wow. And it's, and it's it's all real, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. uh, when I started my memoir, it was incredibly important for me to be a hundred percent accurate. So yeah. I, I, I sought out court records. I got, um, the recordings from when I pled guilty. I got medical wow. records. I got records from detox. I got arrest records, mug shots, hospital records. Wow. And I, and I, and I started reaching out to people like, um, like, uh, the administrator that gave the HIV, HIV test mm-hmm. and I wanted to get all my dates correct so that everything was just I can stand by it and be like this is this is it this is my story this is true mm-hmm. and I think it was really eye-opening for her um you know for my family um I, many of them told me that they have told me occasionally over the years that I should write a book and um mm-hmm. because because they lived it uh and because of you know, sort of the unlikely and arduous journey that I experienced. Um, I think it's, I think, it's, I think it can help people. I think it can help families that have sons or daughters going through a situation that similar to what I went through. Know that there's there is a chance, you know, of of a good life for for that person. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think that's. That's my kuleana um, in Hawaii. In Hawaii, kuleana, like that's my responsibility, my moral obligation. That's wow. my okay. atonement. So, like, that's my way to give back as a as a responsible addict in recovery. 
because um, I'll be honest, I don't really, I don't really like public speaking. I don't like talking in front of a bunch of people. Um, I'm surprised to hear write, that. If I can write down my story and like, here, like, take this in private and go read it. Got you. Um, <laughs> I can put all my lessons in, in there. Um, yeah, but to her, I think it was really eye-opening, and um, and she's not the only one. Um, there's people in my life today that I'm very close with that didn't know me back when I was using, gotcha. and so they might not be able to picture me as that person. They only know the me today. Mm-hmm. Um, but historically, when I've had apprehensions of sharing my my backstory with people for fear of judgment and, and whatnot, um, almost always it's turned out to be met with, you know, um, with words of kindness, and, and people will reiterate how proud they are that I went through that and made it out. Sometimes they're in disbelief. Yeah. Um, because it's, it, you know, I mean, we got to be honest, it's, it's, it's tough to go through that and come out and I wish everyone the same the yeah. same recovery because it's an amazing thing but um, you know sometimes it happens sometimes it doesn't yeah I, I feel like it will help a lot of people not just those that are using or that have experienced um, addiction in any way but family members and friends or just those that are just interested in learning more about um, your story and how they can apply that to those they know or the, or those that they may meet. Um, and your memoir is entitled One Hit Away. Um, Correct. Why Correct. did you title it that? Um, one Hit Away, for sake of sounding like a baseball book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. One hit, one hit Away is it's actually, um, it's actually an idea that I learned from a counselor in, in treatment. Okay. And it was almost like it was it was a mantra of hers that stuck with me forever. Wow. And what it says, what it, what the idea behind one hit away is that um, no matter how good things are going in life, no matter how far you've made it in recovery. Mm-hmm. No matter how bright the future looks, you're always one hit away from losing everything and going back. Wow. And as long as as long as as long as I remember that, and, and I keep the distinction very very clear, I know that I'm not willing to, to sacrifice everything that that life and you know has laid out for me. Yeah. For one hit, and if, and and. It, and it, it starts with one hit, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the beginning. That's like you can think, you can have, you can have a thousand thoughts in your head, but the second you make an action and put one of those thoughts in motion, is the beginning. Exactly. And sometimes the beginning to an end. So that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Of one hit away. I'm one hit away from from losing everything, from going back, from from throwing it all away, and and that's it. I mean, it's. It's crystal clear, and and that's that's along the same lines of relapse is not an option. It's mm-hmm. it's just a it's just something that stuck with me, and you know that's that's what recovery is. You know, you're going to hear a lot of stuff said in meetings, and you know some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't, some of it applies, some some of it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's something that I sort of latched onto, and I'm like, that makes sense. I, I get it. Like I can relate to that, and mm-hmm. I can use it, and I can refer to it when I need to. Absolutely. 
I love that so much. One hit away. That's that's very clever, and it's it definitely. I feel like it'll stick with me, um, as well. And I feel like it'll stick with those that are able to to read your memoir, which isn't out yet, but you're still in the publishing process, um, hoping to get that out soon. Yeah, that's my goal. I mean, um, I want to do it right. I want, I want to get, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I'm not, I believe it's important, but I'm not in a rush to, to force it out. So Absolutely. I've been working on it consistently. Um, I think it's in a really good spot and, you know, it's not up to me at this point, you know, it's, it's out of my hands. So I'm, I'm hoping to see it out one way or another, um, this year. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm aware that I'm not in control of a lot of things in my life and I'm okay with that. And it's Absolutely. gotten me to where I, it's gotten me to where I am today. So, um, I have high hopes and, and I think people, I think when people pick it up, um, if they can relate to it, then hopefully they can relate to the positive part too, you know, so absolutely, definitely a journey, um, of recovery and, and a story of hope, you know? Yeah. 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 It's amazing. And, you know, I don't personally have any experience, um, with it, but I definitely am going to be reading, um, for sure. Um, whenever it, it is available, I will be purchasing and, and reading it and sharing it with those that I can because I think it's it's amazing what you're doing and you're also sharing so not a lot of people share their personal experiences in detail when they when they write books um so for you to have gone back and gotten the criminal records and you know just all of these different things is I think will add a personal touch to your memoir that not a lot of books on addiction and recovery and things like that that not a lot of them have. So um, just know that I'll be in your in your corner um, reading reading the book as well. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And just one last thing. I wish we could just talk all day, but one last thing. Uh, what would you tell someone who is in Rock Bottom's basement? Um, if they were, if I was here in Hawaii and someone was in Rock Bottom's basement, I would tell them to pick up the phone uh, and, and call Sand Island Treatment Center or call a treatment center close to them. Um, I would tell them that they can, they, they can, there's a way out and it's not, it's not easy, but neither is a life that they're living. Mm. And if, and if they want a way out, it's available for them, but they have to ask for help. Um, they might not be ready, but that's okay. But it just starts with um, reaching out. I love that. I love that. This has been an amazing episode, just hearing your story and, you know, exploring your website and all that you have going on. Um, I'm just really inspired, and I appreciate you coming on to share your experience. Um, and I just wish the best with everything that you're doing, your book, um, and just the advocacy that you're doing, um, bringing awareness, I think is amazing. So again, thank you so much for coming on. And if there's a way that people can connect with you, do you mind sharing your social media, your website, um, how people can get in contact with you and stay updated with what you're doing? Sure, of course. So my website is uh, www.jordanpbarnes. So Jordan P is in Prescott, B-A-R-N-E-S. <coughs> my uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram is at Jordan underscore P 
underscore Barnes. And of course, you know, if you can make it into Sand Island, you can see me there in a meeting sometime. That's another. <laughs> <laughs> another way. That's one way. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that's or, 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 or awesome. Come catch me body surfing at Makapu sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely sounds fun. Again, thank you so much for coming on to, to share your story and to add to the discussion. Hey, mahalo for having me. It was wonderful. I really, it was, it was a very nice, good experience. Thank you so much. Thank you. So make sure that you connect with Jordan on social media. Check out his website. And I hope that you were inspired by this episode. Did you enjoy this episode? I'd love for you to continue the conversation with those around you. One way you can do that is by purchasing the MSE Podcast Conversation Starters Deck, available at bygracenp.com. Be sure to leave a review on one of MSE's listening platforms, share with a friend, and join the My Sentiments Exactly podcast community on social media at MSE Podcast. The podcast is available for listening on all major streaming platforms, bygracenp.com, and on my mobile app. Hope to hear from you soon.